Well, I am so glad you're here. Um, if you don't know who I am, that's fine. I'll tell you my name. I'm Shannon, and I am privileged to pastor our women and um, also our wellness center where we help people. That's really the bottom. That's the best way to say it. We help people um, with whatever life's throwing at them. Um, I'll put a plug since I'm the one with the mic right now. Uh, next Saturday, we have a ladies' event. So don't be left out. Come be with us at the Ogden campus. If you want to know more, as Madeline said, it's on the app, on the QR code, all the stuff's there. Or you can come find me after, and I'll give you any information that you might need. But we're going to gather and just have some fun together and get to know each other. There's a lot of new faces, right? If you've been here a while, you're like, yeah, there are a lot. Of so we want to build opportunities to connect and to be um, to become friends. So that's what we're going to do next Saturday. Love to have you join. But today, I get to carry on in our series called Making Sense of Love. And we have been taking a, a kind of a unique stand with this idea of, of God's love, and we've been relating it to all of our senses. Because really, if you think about what makes us a person, it's all those senses, right? That's the, the smell, the touch, the hear, the see. That's what makes us who we are. And so We've been taking that idea and going, well, if we could put, you know, flesh to God's love, what, what would that smell like, look like, taste like, all of those things. And today, I'm going to talk to you about the smell of God's love. Some of you are like, never thought about that. <laughs> never thought about God's love having a smell. And where we're starting every week is this, God is love. Amen. Therefore, he gets to define what it looks, feels, tastes, smells, and sounds like. Doesn't matter what culture tells you love is, friends. Doesn't matter what the world says love is. God is the one who defines love. And we get to either get in line with that or not. So that's where we're starting at today. And God's love really does have a smell, believe it or not. It really does have a smell. And the word we're going to use today is the word aroma, because that's the word we see in the Bible. I'm going to use the word aroma. And we're actually going to discover that there are some really deep implications of what it means to be an aroma of God's love. It's actually got some pretty profound meaning for us. And so my hope is that by the time you leave today, you'll have a yearning to surrender all of yourself to Jesus. Because what you're going to find out in the next little bit here is that God's love is all about surrender. The smell of God's love, the aroma comes from surrender. Now, I am proud of my nose. Just want you guys to know that. It's one of my best attributes. But what I mean is not the actual look of my nose, because maybe it's fine. But what I mean is I can detect a bad smell. The moment I open the door to the house, I'm like, something's spoiled. I can smell it, and my whole family's like, what are you talking about? And I follow my nose, and I find the little bitty container in the back of the fridge. I'm like, I found it. Spoiled. I feel like that that's a special talent I have. Anybody else have that talent? Yes. See, it's not just me. I am proud of that ability to walk in the house and immediately find that bad smell. But even if you don't have that ability, it's okay. You don't have to have that ability. But we all like a good smell, right? We all like a good smell. Like... Coffee brewing. Wow. Okay. All right. We could just go home, I guess. 
chocolate shop. Oh, yeah. You walk in and they're spinning that chocolate thing and, oh man, okay. Roasting chestnuts on an open fire. I'm not gonna sing Christmas. What are some other things? Throw out some things. I'm sure some of you have some interesting good smells. What are some good smells? Go ahead. Oh, do you do the laundry? No, <laughs> fresh laundry. Okay, what's another one? Roses. Rain. That's a good one. Smoked meat. You guys. Huh? A newborn baby. Oh, I'm waiting for someone to say gasoline because some of you weirdos are like, I love the smell of gas. Raise your hand if you love the smell of gas. See, there's a lot. There's so many. Bunch of weirdos. The smell of diesel. That's a $7 smell right there. Okay, so basically what I'm hearing is all the good smells just make us hungry. We're all ready to go eat, unless, except for gas. Yeah. And then there's bad smells. We're not, I'm not asking for suggestions. We're not going to go there. We'll ruin the mood. But let's just be real. You don't understand bad smell until you've changed the toddler diaper. Listen. Listen. It is a whole new thing. Yeah. So that's a rough one. And then that goes in that diaper pail, and then it sits too long. Okay, sorry. It's bad. It's bad. I'm glad we're done. I don't have that problem anymore. Amen. Also, um... Listen, if you're junior higher in here, we love you. <laughs> but your locker rooms, we do not love. I think that teachers of junior hires, because it's not just the locker room for a junior high teacher. It is the classroom all day, yeah. every day. Yeah. A bunch of kids learning how to put on deodorant. They deserve a crown. <laughs> a big crown, because that's a hard job. That's a hard job. I also was one of those people that lost my sense of taste and smell with COVID. So weird. Anybody else have that happen? So weird. So weird. And it was, for me, it was months. And my taste started to come back before my smell. But that was really weird because, like, I'd eat popcorn, which I love, but it would taste weird because I couldn't smell it. And so I realized, like, wow, we're, our smell and our taste are super connected. Like, we can taste based on our smell. So that was a weird thing to have to just eat it and not taste, not really be able to smell it. But the fact is, the truth that we can all agree after, especially after this conversation, is that our sense of smell actually can alert us to what's going on in an environment, right? There's a reason that realtors tell you to bake cookies so that when people walk in your house, oh, I want to be here. I want this house because of that smell, right? We, had the, we already had someone mention rain. When you smell, when you smell, you know the rain's coming before it comes. You smell it. Where I come from, we say a storm's coming. That's the south. Okay. Storms are coming. Sometimes you smell smoke before you see where the fire is, right? You, you smell the smoke and you start looking around to find the fire. So our sense of smell can actually often be what alerts us to the environment that we're in. It alerts us to what's going on around us. As we've established, the good smells draw us in, and the bad smells, we try to find them and get rid of them. I don't want to be around that. I need to get it out of the house. 
Friends, this is exactly how our lives are. So if we could take this concept of smell and turn it into the spiritual aspect of our life, you have a smell. You know that? It's not Chanel. It's not Bath and Body Works. You have a smell. Your spiritual person has a smell, and it's either an aroma or an odor. There is no middle. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, believe it or not, the Bible actually has a lot to say about this topic. In fact, the word aroma comes up in the Bible 52 times. So one for every week of the year. You can think about aroma every week of the year. Now, anytime we read something in the Bible, especially something we see repeated, we want to ask, why is this here? What is it connected to? And how does it reveal who God is? Because scripture is all about revealing who God is. Okay? Now, we're going to go into a scripture passage that actually, if you can believe it, that Paul very much uses the words aroma and he, he uses the word fragrance. And you'll be surprised, be like, wow, we actually have scripture verses that talk about this exact topic of aroma. And maybe there's a reason. What's the reason? Now, every time we approach scripture, something that we want to know is that it's written for a specific context. So have you ever read a verse and been like, no idea what that means? It's okay if you have, because that's normal. Because we have to remember that the writer is writing to a first century Jew or Gentile. They don't have cell phones. They don't drive cars. They don't live in the same context that we do. So the things that they understand are very different than the things we understand today. So when we come across a verse or a chapter or something and we go, I don't really understand what that means, we can dig a little deeper to get to the meaning of what they're trying to tell us. And that's exactly what we're doing in 2 Corinthians. So Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he wrote letters. He wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. And we're going to look at the second letter he wrote to them because they had a lot of trouble, so he had to write two letters. <laughs> the first letter wasn't enough. Like, I had to write him another letter. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 2. And we're going to just look at two verses, but we're going to start with verse 14. And it's on the screen. If you want to look it up, you can. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it. Thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, there's a few words in this verse that we have to kind of go, what does that mean to the, to the reader, and how does that imp impact me? And the words, the phrase that we want to focus on is, leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. That is an interesting choice of words, isn't it? What does that mean, Paul? Well, as I said, remember, the New Testament is written in first century, in the, to the first century world, and every reader of the new, any letter in the New Testament, every reader is under the oppression of Rome, okay? This is the life of every person living at this time in history. Rome is the conqueror. Rome is the one with the power. Rome is the one that owns it all. So that's the context that you see when you read anything in the New Testament. Now, a triumphal procession, that would have given the reader, whether they were Jew or Gentile, a very specific picture, okay, of what, what Paul was talking about. These were, the word we would use is parade, okay? These were big, massive, ornate parades 
that the government of Rome would actually sponsor because they would have soldiers coming back from conquering, having conquered a land, conquered a people, and they wanted to show off their power. So they would put on these parades, and the conquering general of this army would be at the front on a you know, float, like a chariot that was pretty ornately decorated. And behind that general would be their prisoners of war in chains, being led through the streets as part of this display of Rome's power. That's quite a picture, isn't it? It's already taking a different shape as we read that verse with that in mind. So this is a big, fancy parade that he is referring to. Hundreds of soldiers would march in this parade. Now, Paul just said, thanks be to God who leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. I'm starting to feel a little offended, Paul, if I can be really honest, because I feel like you're telling me I got to die. I feel like you're telling me I got to die. That's what he's telling us, friends. Now, at the end of these parades, sadly, what would happen is that those captives would be slain. They would come to the, the parade would end at the feet of the emperor, and those captives would be executed. So these captives being led through these parades, they knew what was coming. They knew what was going to happen because this wasn't a secret thing that Rome did. It was very publicly well known. So Paul is using a very big illustration of this parade to describe life in Christ. We can't get away from it now that we know that, right? <laughs> He's like, you know how Rome, they do those big parades to show off their power? Yeah, that's Christ. And guess where he's at? The front of the parade. And guess where you're at? You're behind him. That's what he's telling the people reading this letter. But he's not done. So let's read verse 15. For we are to God, there it is again, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Now, one more little detail about these parades that's important. At the very, very front, even in front of the general or the whatever soldier is at the front of this parade, would be a sort of moving altar that incense would be burned to the Roman gods, false gods, because Rome had a lot of gods <laughs> that they worshipped. And they were required to sacrifice to their gods. And so these parades, they would have an incense being, being taken up. There was a smell. And even if you weren't there, you could smell it. Even if you weren't at this parade, you could smell that incense and you knew what was happening. Paul is saying, you know, think about the captive in that parade. That smell is death to them. It's the smell of death. To the Roman, it's the smell of life. We've conquered. We're in, we're, we're, our glory is great. That's the smell to the Roman. But to the captive, it's the smell of death. And he's like, that's you. You're either a smell of death or a smell of life. You're either an aroma or an odor. Anyone living in ancient Rome, what Jew or Gentile, would have been accustomed to the idea of sacrifice 
and the aroma of sacrifice. That's not new. Every person reading this letter would have totally got what he was talking about. The Jewish system in the Old Testament that Christ came and fulfilled was the system of sacrifice. That was the temporary way that we were in relationship with God, is that every day, every day, there would be a sacrifice brought to God for the sins of Israel because outside of sacrifice, they couldn't, there was nothing they could do. And so God said, I'm going to put this system in place, and you're going to bring spotless lamb. You're going to bring innocent lambs, and they're going to take your place. I'll put a pin in that because we're going to come back to it. For centuries, worship is equated with sacrifice, whether you're a Roman or a Jew. Worship and sacrifice are synonymous. The reader of this letter would not have understood it any differently. And Paul has just used that illustration to say, it's you now. Now that Christ has come, you get to surrender and sacrifice yourself to take on his aroma. Because without him, you're an odor. You can do nothing to make yourself a pleasing aroma. It is all Christ. And why is it Christ? Let's read Romans 6, 9 through 11, another letter that Paul wrote. He was a busy guy. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Here it comes. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to show us the example of love. He came, God's like, okay, I'm going to send my son, and my son will show you what this actually looks like, because you guys can't do it. You don't know how. So I'll send my son to show you what it means to love. The thing that you've got to understand that Paul is implying and he's, I mean, I could, we could spend all day talking about places where he talks about this because this is the theme. The thing you've got to understand is that Paul is saying, you, it's not you with Christ, friend. It's not you with Jesus added to you. It is only Jesus or only you. And if it's only you, it's death. We like wiggle room, don't we? We were like, Let, like, I just want a little bit of Jesus, but I also like this over here. From what I'm reading, that's not an option. It's all or nothing because Jesus gave all. Jesus did not hold anything back. And Paul is illustrating for us. He says, unlike the Roman who kills for power, you get to choose to lay down your life because of the death of Christ and the resurrection. You get to choose it. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be taken from you. You get to choose it. The definition of sacrifice, I thought this was interesting. A surrendering of possession. What is it that you possess? You might think you possess your house, your car, your, your loved ones, your job, but how many of us know, especially after the last two years, really actually we have zero control over anything? 
But there's one thing you have control over. One thing that no one can take, and that is your will. No one can make you worship God. No one can make you sacrifice the sinful nature of yourself to take on the nature of Christ. That is the gift that God gave us at creation. I'm going to put a tree here because I want you to choose. Because it's not love if you don't get to choose. It's not sacrifice if you don't get to choose. I don't know about you, but I like to live in the land of comfort. Sacrifice sounds uncomfortable. It sounds inconvenient. For me, I was thinking and praying. I'm like, what does this look like for me like now? Like I can talk about things that have happened in the past and ways that I've seen this play out in my life. But I was praying about it. I'm like, what is, what is happening in my life now? Well, in recent months, I've realized that God has been asking me to surrender my need to know. He has been asking me to surrender my need to understand. Friends, nothing has been what we thought it would be. And I, I don't think I'm, it's, I think all of us would say after the last two years, like, we all went into 2020, like, 2020 vision. And then we're like, never mind. <laughs> like, I get it. When I say this about my life, I know it's not just me. But nothing has gone the way we thought it would when we moved to Utah. We came with some thoughts. And some plans. And it ain't been nothing that we thought. But I realized in the last, before the holidays, I had, have you ever heard the phrase, come to Jesus? That's the southern thing. We come to Jesus. Like, I got to come to Jesus. And I had a come to Jesus meeting, okay? He came to me. (laughs) And he's like, listen, sister. And I'm like, okay. And he showed me that I have spent two and a half, the first two and a half years, we've been here three years, I spent the first two and a half years thinking if I could just understand how this works, it'll be good. If I could just figure this out, then it'll all make sense and I'll be fine. If I could just know, then that dream that's out there, that promise out there, I could get to it. And I spent a lot of my energy trying to understand because I like to know. I like to be given instructions and follow them to the T. Anybody else a rule follower? Okay. I am really good at following rules. But that's not how it works with Jesus. He won't give me a checklist. He won't give me little boxes so that I can feel really good that I'm doing the right thing, and I understand, and I know, and here's, check. It doesn't work that way. So for me, in recent months, the sacrifice has been laying down my need to understand, and can I get real vulnerable? Actually, it's the need to be in control. It's sacrificing my need to be in control. And I need to be really transparent. When you, sat, when you choose sacrifice, it gets real vulnerable real fast. Because real quick, I started realizing, oh, it might be a little arrogant of me to even think I could remotely begin to put a plan together that matches the plan of the Almighty God. <laughs> to actually think, well, I know what this is supposed to look like, so let's go. That's really arrogant. 
And that's pride. And I got to lay that down. I got to sacrifice my pride because it's not about me and my plan. It's about him and his plan. There's a lot of ways that we sacrifice. Have you ever considered you're sacrificing your life for something every single day? Sometimes we sacrifice ourselves to success, to status, to position, convenience, the approval of others. There's lots of ways that we're choosing a sacrifice. The question is, what is it we're sacrificing to? And here's the thing we have to know, friends. The thing about sacrifice is that what we sacrifice ourselves to is what shapes us. If I had refused the voice of God in that moment and said, nope, I'm gonna keep trying to understand, I would have become bitter, frustrated, and angry and completely incapable of seeing the beauty and the good and the work God was putting right in front of me because I'd have been bowing my knee to human logic and human ways and human understanding. But choosing to sacrifice my need to be in control means that I get to go on a faith journey. And can I just be real honest? He gave me the words faith for my birthday this year. He gives me a word every year. I didn't ask. He just started doing that. And I was like, oh, okay. So, um, and sometimes I have to really pray and be like, okay, what's the word for this year? Yeah, no, not this time. I'm like, Lord, what's the focus? Faith. And I was like, I'd like to draw another word. <laughs> because I know what that means. It means doing things that I don't understand. And then you want to know what he did? He told me I have to go with Lauren to Israel next month. I have no idea why. Didn't even ask. Lord, I would just love if he'd send me to Israel. Wasn't even on my radar. And he told me I have to go by myself. We're going to go to, well, with Lauren. Two women, we're going to go on the plane and go to Israel because God said go. It's a sacrifice. Because there's a hundred million things that I can't control in that decision. And I can't stand here and be like, well, here's what I expect God to do and how I expect it all to play out. No idea. So the thing about sacrifice is that whatever you're sacrificing to is what shapes you. And when you're choosing a life of sacrifice to God, you become an aroma of Christ. That's what Paul is teaching us. The aroma The smell of God's love is found in sacrifice. That's it. None of us is naturally inclined to give up anything. I mean, do we have to teach toddlers how to take things or how to share? It is in our nature to keep what is ours. That is who we are as humans. So this whole concept of sacrifice, it's not easy. But... God does not ask something of us he did not first do himself. The life that God is asking you to sacrifice, he gave of himself. The question's not, will you sacrifice your life, but what will you sacrifice it to? The only thing you possess 
is your will. And you have to choose day by day what you're going to do with it. And if we could pull back that veil and see the spirit realm that is all around us, I think, I don't have a scripture verse to back this up, but I think you'd see incense being lifted. And here's the thing you need to understand. Sometimes I think, I think of how I want to say this. Sometimes I think that we have a sort of kind of idea of what Christ has done for us, but we don't fully get it. If you could see what God sees when he looks at someone who is choosing to walk in Christ, remember what I said, it's not you plus Christ. He abides. He abides in you. You die so that you may live. And there's an aroma, and it's the aroma of Christ. It's not your aroma. It's the aroma of Christ. And Paul says so many different places in the New Testament. He says, spread the aroma everywhere you go. You get to walk in a room and choose. What does that look like practically? Well, sometimes it looks like taking your neighbor a meal, even though you've got a lot on your plate because it's a sacrifice for you in that moment. Sometimes it means giving Jesus your last $10 because he said give it, and you're like, okay. <laughs> Sometimes it might mean getting up a little earlier so you can spend some time talking to him before you start your day or before you go to bed at night. The first thing it starts with is repentance. The place that we start if we're going to live a life of sacrifice is recognizing I am born unto death and the only way to life is Jesus. And I don't get to do a little bit of both. Friends, we don't. The world is telling you that you can have Jesus and your sin and you need to hear the truth. That's not the truth. You don't get to keep the world and Jesus. I wore my high heels today, so I feel a little bit preachy. Sorry. <laughs> I feel a little bit on fire today. <laughs> because this is the truth that we've got to hold on to. The world's not going to get better, friends. Let's, I think we know that, right? We're not, it's not going to improve. The world is going to continue to fall apart until the day Jesus comes, and you are constantly going to have to make a choice. What will I give my life to? God's love smells like sacrifice. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, if you will, please. And um, This was one of those messages where I knew that what I had written down was truth, but I wasn't like, yay, I get to be the one to say it. But... This is the message that we've got to bring to the front of our heart and our mind, friends. We've got to, we live in a culture that tells us, do what's right for you. You follow your truth. You get rid of things that aren't serving you. Our culture is telling us to elevate us above everything. Worship yourself. 
everything I read from page one to the last page of Revelation, everything says, give it up, give it up, give it up. What you have isn't good enough. You can't be good enough. You can't get it right. Give it all up. Give it up, friends. I'm sure some of you have seen the news of the, there's been amazing just awakening of students around the country that started at um, a little, it's just the greatest thing, a little university in Kentucky that none of you had ever even heard of in this tiny little town. And all these kids just went to chapel to do what they always do. And Jesus decided to show up. And you know what's so beautiful about it? When you read or, or, or listen to the testimonies, it's a theme of repentance. It's a theme of repentance so that I can live for God. And that is what it means to be awakened. Revival is just you and me going, what have I been doing? I gotta get on my face and tell God that I can't do this without him. I gotta be willing to give whatever he asks. And I'm not gonna tell you that he won't ask for something really hard and big, cause he will. He will, because he's going to ask for all of it. So what I, I, I prayed even before this, even during worship, I was like, okay, how do we do this? So I want to ask everyone to, if you don't mind, just take a sec, maybe close your eyes or stare at one spot on the floor or whatever. Um, and I want you to really take a second there and let the Holy Spirit show you because he will speak to you individually. If you picture your life as a smell right now, today, the way you live your life, is it a, an aroma or is it an odor? There's no shame. There's no condemnation. That's not what this is about. It's just about being honest. Is your life an aroma that is pleasing to God or is it an odor because it's filled up with the world? Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to every heart in here right now and reveal whatever ways that we've chosen the world over you, the ways that we're choosing to not sacrifice for you but to sacrifice to the ways of this world. Show each of us, Jesus. I feel like I hear right now, I just kind of feel or sense maybe that some of us in the room, um, we, we knew instantly that it's repentance, but you're, we're terrified to take that step because shame has been loud and heavy for a long, long time. And the Holy Spirit's answer to that is that there is now no shame. There is now no condemnation in Christ. He does what you cannot do. And so if that's you, you need to hear that from the Lord this morning. Your decision to repent does not reveal your condemnation. It reveals your freedom. 
also feel like I hear the Lord saying that some of us in here are refusing to sacrifice our finances. We're refusing to give sacrificially because we're afraid that God won't come through. And I hear the Lord just wanting to say, he's inviting. There's no condemnation, but he's inviting you. He's inviting you to go on a pretty radical journey so that he can prove his faithfulness to you. probably some of us in here that also have been trying to control things and trying to understand and the Lord is gently calling and asking will you give that up will you just give that up faith is a beautiful exciting wild terrifying journey but it's worth it fashioned church, you can all look at me, where this was called an altar. Some of you are like, oh, I remember that word. And now that we've talked about aromas and altars and incense, maybe that has even more, we understand it a little bit more. Now, I want to be really clear. You do not have to come to to this location to meet Jesus. He's everywhere. He's at the back. He's at the front. He's everywhere. But sometimes... And I have had some of those moments. Sometimes you need to get out of your seat and you need to go to the altar for you to mark the moment of a decision that you're making. And so what we're gonna do is I think um, rather than call our prayer teams forward right now, I think we'll wait and do that at the very, very end. I actually just wanna invite you to just make a decision and take a step. And let this come be a place of worship. And just come and get on your face, get on your knees, stand, worship, whatever. They're going to lead us through a beautiful worship song. And I just want to invite you. And I get it. It's scary. you got to take a step. But remember, Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he has not already done. And if you will say yes, he is going to meet you right where you're at. So I'm going to have them go into worship. And then if you are someone that needs to come here and just surrender, then I'm inviting you to do that. If you're going to do it right where you're sitting, that's fine. But I want you to take the time of during this worship to let God do something in you. Don't let him pass you by. Don't let him pass you by.
Yeah. 
ask everyone to stand. I finished early, so we're not rushed. So I'm going to ask our worship team to do holy again, holy forever again, um, because I think there's nothing better than singing about the holiness of our Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand. It's only 11.45, so we're okay. Caitlin's not mad yet. It's fine. And I'm going to invite us to worship. And if you haven't come down yet and you want to, there's no time limit. And if you want to linger, we will linger. It's totally open, whatever the Lord wants to do. So I'm going to have them lead us through that. And then when we get to a finishing point, I'll come back up.
I'm going to invite, uh, oh, there I am, Jake. Um, the Lord gave him a really beautiful picture that I think that the Lord wants all of us to hear. So, Just while Shannon's been speaking and, and through worship, God showed me this, this picture of there's, there's people in this room that have this, this heart that says, I want to know God. I want to be his son. I want to be his daughter. I want to be so close to him. But there's this path between God and me. And God can only come as close as I let him. And even though I have that heart, I've put these barriers up. I have this thing I haven't quite given up yet. I have this other thing that I'm saying, God, I don't want you to take that yet. And God can only come so far. He can only come until the point where I say, hey, you know what? I want to get rid of that. God's taking two more steps to me because he wants to be there. And, And the heart that I hear him saying is, you can't have both these barriers and this proximity to me. But he's inviting people. There's people still in this room that are right there. They're saying, man, I want it. I want it. And God's inviting you still. There's still time. There's still room here at the altar. There's still going to be people here to pray with you and to help you. And he's saying, I want you. So that's what we call a prophetic word. If you don't know what that is, scriptures tell us that some people have the ability to share and it's to reveal the heart of God. And so that was God revealing his heart to some who maybe haven't yet made the decision. So we're going to go back into worship. We're not going to beg you. It's going to be you between you and God. But if that stirred something in you and you want to come and find a place here to talk to Jesus, we're going to give you space to do that.
it's 12, and I'm just going to gently release if you need to go. We're not going to say that we have to be finished because Jesus can do what he wants. We're here for him. <laughs> so if you feel released to go, you want to get your kids, please do. If you want to get your kids and come back up, that's fine too. We will stay here as long as the Lord is doing something in people's hearts. So otherwise, be blessed. Have a good week.